Paul Getter. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me on this amazing podcast. Thank, well, there you go. What a good start straight away. How is Dubai treating you? Amazing. Amazing. Uh, got here a couple days ago and as soon as I landed, went skydiving. So landed and went back up in the air and came back down. There so you go. That's, that's the way. And you had your amazing mastermind yesterday. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. It went was fantastic. Well? Yes. Yes. Brilliant. I want to start by jumping backwards in your story. Okay. Because I think a lot of people are going to know who you are the internet marketing nerd, you've got a lot of followers, you do amazing work for some incredible names. But I want to take you back to the beginning of that entrepreneurial journey, where you just left your job. Sure. And you decided in that sort of time off that you were going to create a Facebook page for your church. Yes. People started coming to the church and saying they'd found it through Facebook, which yeah. obviously in the early days was such a bizarre thing to start happening. It was. And I wanted to ask you about that time when you started to understand the power of digital marketing and how right. it sort of felt for you? Yeah, you know, nowadays, um, the cliche word, social media marketing agency, everybody is in the agency, their mom's an agency yeah. and stuff like that. The term did not even exist in social media marketing or digital marketing, it didn't exist. So using the internet, and I'm dating myself, like uh, most businesses did not even have websites. So when Facebook came out and other social media platforms, it was more of like something to play games on or to connect mm. with people or to post pictures of food and stuff. And I began to see that uh, Facebook rolled out options to start up pages for businesses. Initially, it was just like personal profiles where you would share content. And uh, then they rolled out for businesses. And I thought, huh, I wonder if this, you know, is there value in this? So my first instinct was, well, let me set it up for the church. And I set up a, a Facebook page for the church and posted pictures and everything. And I don't know, a couple weeks later, I went to church and there was a new family there and just inquired. I'm like, hey, you know, where'd you hear about us? And they said, we saw you on that Facebook thing. And I was like, whoa, these are real people. Uh, they came to church and I started thinking about how did this happen? It was, it was just amazing. And now, now today it's like, oh yeah, duh, that's how people do it. You know, they see you on social media, then they come to visit your business, your church, whatever it might be. But this was the first time that I'd ever seen this. I thought, you know, in my world, in my mind, I thought people on social media were somehow fake people or it's just a game or something. And I was doing it more, for, maybe there was some SEO value to having a Facebook page on there for the church's website. But when these people showed up, I was like, whoa, these are real people. Yeah. How did this happen? And I started thinking, okay, if this would work for a church, it would work for a restaurant. It would work for an ice cream shop. It'd work for any business. And that's when I saw there was business opportunity in social media marketing. It's such a visionary way of thinking, isn't it? Because everyone else is sort of stuck on Farmville was the early games. It, it was, it? Or, or what yeah. was the thing they, they used to say? Maybe it still says it. It says something like, what are you thinking or yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. People were just trying to answer that question. And you were thinking, how can I leverage this to actually help people grow their businesses, which I think is so cool. And I love the story. I'd love you to tell the story about when you started to hear the radio ads right, and started right. to think differently about, well, why wouldn't they spend less of their marketing budget on Facebook. There's more people. Absolutely. And so you saw that and started to do things for people, right? Yeah. So one of the things that I realized when it came to social media marketing and online presence, it, that it gave you the ability to kind of track what was happening. You know, so you could see people click, they would enter, enter their information and it kind of gave you a trail of what they were doing. When it came to a radio ad, for example, and it was very popular um, back in the days, people would do radio ads, large budgets, um, 
in newspaper, phone books. Anyways, I found myself listening to the radio and I heard this ad that would come on two or three times a day of, I think it was a financial consultant. And I was like, this ad, and it was a long, like a, a minute long ad. And so I called up the radio and I said, how much does it cost for a one minute spot on this station? And it was like $2,000 or something. And I thought, this guy is doing this at least three times a day. I went to his website, saw his website was a mess. You know, there was nothing um, that was done right. So I began to reach out to this guy, to the CEO of the company. And I said, hey, have you ever tried social media marketing? And of course, again, telling a business today, they're like, oh yeah, we do, we do social media marketing. But back then it was a new thought. It was like, no, you know, that's a waste of money. Why would I do that? So he was very, uh, you know, just brushed me off. No, we don't do that. We're doing fine on radio and stuff. And, but I realized if, if I could get this guy as a client, number one, he had a large budget. He's spending $6,000 at least a day on the radio. So I knew that I could do a lot more with that money than what he was getting on radio. So what I did is I went to his personal profile and I found a picture of him at Disney World. And he was wearing this goofy hat and stuff. (laughs) And so I took that picture of him and I set up an ad and I put his name on it. I think his name was Brett. And I said, hey, Brett, this is Paul. I want to talk to you about social media marketing. And uh, I said, send me a message. And I set up an ad And what I was able to do is I could see where he lived on his Facebook profile. I could see where he lived, his age, Mm -hmm. his marital status, his interest. And I created an ad that when he went on Facebook, the first thing that pops up on his timeline is this ad that follows him around. And I remember it was like 24 hours after setting up this ad. He sends me a message. He says, Paul, this is really creepy, but I want to talk to you. And so this was one of my first big clients that gave us a a pretty large budget. And we were able to get him trackable results, get him leads for a fraction of the price of what he was seeing on the radio. Well, that's what I think is such a good story of just entrepreneurial, you know, um, prowess and just trying things and just getting out there. But also it seems crazy nowadays that you would put that budget towards something with a difficult to track ROI, yeah. but also not the data of where it's even going. Whereas Facebook, you can right. target the right people. Absolutely. So is that something that you've seen the difference of in your sort of journey from then to now where, you know, the psychology of people is probably the most important thing in marketing, would you think? Right, right. Yeah, a- absolutely. So uh, when it came to like a, a radio program or television or newspaper or phone books, people just hoped it worked. Mm-hmm. You know I mean? Just like, okay. We th- but if you ask them, how, how many clients are you getting? How many leads are you getting? Like, ah, I don't really know. And so you're just spending money blindly, hoping that the ads work. But when you have a trackable system, like, okay, I spend $100 here, I'm getting four clients from it, then you can take that budget and you can really invest it and you can see a return on it. And if, if you can't measure the results, you really can't scale it. So people would just use a budget and hope it works. Everybody was doing radio, so I'll do radio. Does it work? I don't know, but everybody's doing the radio. So that's that's kind of what I saw. But when you can really show them measurable, trackable results, and it's something that they're willing to invest more into. 
but you can see it scaling then, can't you? Because if you put $1,000 in, it brings $5,000 back. It makes sense to put two in, yeah. turn back. Yeah. It's incredible. So how did you serve your clients in those early days? It was potentially ads to start with, but how did you scale that out into other forms of digital marketing? Yeah, so I'll tell you a funny thing. When Facebook first launched, and if you go back, uh, it, it's like it sounds like the ancient days, um, <laughs> but... Facebook, first of all, was only available on desktop. There was no Facebook app. And when you first set up Facebook pages, there was a button that said, would you like to grow your page? Would you like to get more um, followers? Uh, and if you said yes, you would just click on that button and Facebook would auto-populate an ad. Oh. Um, just create it for you and it would start spending money and you would pay the bill and you really didn't know how it worked. Well, I was playing around with other ad platforms before Facebook launched their ad platform. Uh, again, going back, Facebook originally did not even have an ad platform mm -hmm. integrated into it. So when it first started launching, I'm playing around with it because I played around with Google, I played around with other little ad platforms, and I wanted to grow my page, and there was you know, this, this auto populate, it was a button you just push and it would run it. But a lot of people didn't realize that there was this little panel in the settings that you could go in and you could play around with the Facebook ad manager. It's very simple, very basic, you know, nothing like it looks today, but it gave you the ability to put your own image in your own text. When Facebook would make the, uh, image for you, the ad for you, it would just, you click the button and it'd pull your profile picture and some random text off your profile. And so it was not really an ad, it was just like an auto-populated ad. Uh, but when you went into the ad manager, you could use your own pictures that you create, your own text, your own call to actions. So I started playing around with that and I was able to get amazing results compared to the Facebook auto-populated ad. And so what I would do is I would scroll through Facebook and I would see one of those ugly auto-populated um, ads that someone did. And I would click on it and I'd go to the profile and I would send the person a message. I'd say, hey, I see you're playing around with the um, Facebook ads growing your, uh, your following. How's that going? And again, people just clicking that button, hoping to get some yeah. followers and stuff. And they would say, oh, it's going great. You know, we're growing our page, trying to get more um, business and stuff. And then I would say, if you don't mind me asking, um, what type of results are you getting? And they're like, oh, you know, I'm uh, spending about $20 a day and getting 20 followers. I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. I said, what if I told you I could get you better results, that I could get you uh, 200 followers for $20? would you let me do it for you? And they're like, oh no, it's not possible, you know, and they felt like this is kind of a scam or something. So I'd say, let me do it for two days for free. I won't charge you anything. And if I get you better results, you hire me. Well, I knew in testing the ads platform that I could get followers for a penny. Wow, okay. they're, they're spending a dollar to get one follower. I could spend one penny and get a follower. So I could spend $2, get them 200 followers, and then I have $18 as my profit. And so I would do that for a couple of days and they're like, I'm blown away. These are better followers. Yeah. These are you know 10 times more of what I'm spending. So they would hire me. So I would spend $2 of their budget, keep $18. So next thing you know, I got a couple clients uh, and then businesses 
um, big businesses started reaching out to me saying, hey, I heard you grew this page. I heard you did this. Can you um, help me? I had movie companies reaching wow. out to me. I had you know, famous people start talking about it. And so next thing you know, I've, it's me and um, one of my friends were doing this and it quickly w- went from like little side hustle to making six figures, helping people grow their Facebook page. That's awesome. So what do you think that you saw early on in terms of um, a way that you construct an ad that was different? Because nowadays, as you know, you get absolutely perfect ads mm-hmm. where they've been filmed in 4K right, and they're, right. you know, they're scripted, but you also get the ugly ads, which still perform well, yeah. depending on what what's going on, maybe a bit of personal branding in there. What do you think you spotted early on that, that made you have that, that return on ad spend that was so much better than yeah, the people? So, so to give you an example, the auto-populated ad that Facebook would make. When you would set up a Facebook page, you would put your profile picture and then your header picture in there. And then you'd put the name of your page. Mm. And then uh, the ad would populate with those images and that text. And then there would be a little button that would say, like our page beside the ad. Uh, so that was the auto-populated ad. Well, there was no real, like people didn't even understand what it meant. So what I would do is I would take an image, let's say the, um, the company was uh, about um, cars, you know, I would take a picture of a really nice car and I would say, I love cars um, and a picture of a car. And then it would say, click like if you like cars. And so there was a a firm call to action. And so I had this, it was a simple ad, whatever, like if it was a cat page, because people would build pages based on their hobbies or something, or, uh, you know, I love entrepreneurs or whatever it is. It was just, I, a heart and whatever I would, um, want to target. And then the call to action was, um, do you love cars? Click like now. And it would just get much better results. And I knew how to like target yeah. the interest and stuff. Again, I don't think Facebook's auto-populated ad would do any real targeting. So I would go into target. It got to the point where I'm doing so many different pages and companies and stuff like that. Facebook reaches out to me and they said, hey, um, we see you're spending a lot of money on the Facebook ad platform. Would you be really willing to be a beta tester for us? I'm like, yeah. And they said, we'll give you ad spend and then you just have a call with us and report to us what type of results you're getting. I'm like, sounds good to me. And so initially it started out like they give me a thousand dollars which I'm like, oh, giving me free money to test ads. I'd use it on my clients and yeah. stuff. And then I'd give them call, you know, a call once a week or something. And then it'd be like $10,000, $20,000. I remember getting on a call with Facebook and the guy is talking to me. He's like, hey man, can you hold on for just a minute? I'm like, yeah. And then he calls the guy over. He's like, no way, no way. Look at this, no way. He's like, I'm sorry. We have never seen somebody spend so much on Facebook ads. Wow. And so I was like, at that moment, I'm like, okay, I'm like Facebook reps are surprised how much money I'm spending. So I realized there was probably only a small amount of people that were doing stuff on Facebook ads then. And what year was that when that started happening? Oh, I, I don't remember. It's, it's probably 2008, nine, okay, early, something so like it's that. just yeah. started really, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's so cool to hear sort of the stuff that is sort of 
still a lot of people don't understand now but you're doing it yeah. 10 15 years yeah. ago it's it so may cool. have even been earlier than that i'd have to look back but it was again there was a time when facebook had no ad platform at mm -hmm. all then there was a time when they had ads and you could do any type of ad i mean yeah. there was like it was wild wild west mm. there was all kinds of crazy ads going on facebook and then it was like they clamped it down and anytime you tried to do anything your ad account would get shut down or you would have to call up facebook and talk to them and stuff and so um we saw the pendulum swing back and forth several times that's so interesting you've been at the sort of the forefront the entire way through the journey so yeah. far um what i think is really interesting about you and uh, is doing the research on you was incredibly fun because <laughs> you've worked with some really cool people you've done some incredibly cool stuff and i'll put the list below if people want to uh -huh. see because your website is just is a storytelling masterclass in my opinion it's so easy to fall into the sort of the the story of paul uh -huh. and I, you can watch stuff you can read stuff and it all comes across so nicely and you can see why people would want to work with you from movies to celebrities it becomes very you know you talk about yourself as a friend first and uh -huh. a mentor a business person second my question is how has the social media landscape changed what uh -huh. are the biggest differences because obviously you've been at the forefront yeah you've worked with these different companies people how has it changed not in just the platforms mm -hmm. but how you have to use it to still you know be ahead of the rest yeah yeah well i i think a lot of times um how can i say it there was a certain innocence in social media at the beginning because people were just trying to figure it out and stuff and you know businesses were using it for a sincere reason you know it was like okay we, we just want to get clients it's like this is the new radio this is the new television and um then i remember there was like this large influx of everybody trying to just make money off it see it as an opportunity to make money and you know i have nothing nothing against that but sometimes that brings in a different side of uh the market of people people that are maybe doing stuff insincere and not with you know people's best interest. Mm -hmm. So I've, I saw stuff like that happen and a lot of scams. And I mean, there was like waves of scams that would come through and, and things wow. like that. Uh, and, and I think now it's more evolving into people have learned a lot from social media. They there was a phase where it was just purely entertainment. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of games on social media. We talked about it earlier where it's like <laughs> Facebook was Gameville and yeah. like all these weird <laughs> games and stuff. And I remember when I first got on, I'm like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. It's just a bunch of games. Do a quiz to see which friend's character yeah, you were. Yeah, That's exactly, it. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of these weird little apps and stuff. Uh, but now I think that there's a huge opportunity for people to build like personal brands. Uh, what would have taken an individual a lifetime to do on television, radio. I remember when I was a kid, I used to want to be a radio DJ. It was like, that was the way, if you wanted to become popular in, in the communities, a radio DJ, that was like the celebrity in the community. I'm like, I want to be a radio DJ. People always told me, oh, you have a voice like a DJ. You need to do that. So I thought I'd do that. And But now social media has put that power into individuals' hands that you can create your own radio like right here this this is today's modern radio program yeah. it's a podcast um your own television show through youtube and so now it gives people the power to build their own personal brand their own community um their own ability to impact individuals mm -hmm. so i really like that i you know i think harnessed in the right way there's a, a lot of benefit for it 
I think you're completely right. I think communities and building movements around businesses yeah, is what yeah. people, maybe it's even post COVID. People are so much more into yeah, health yeah. being one thing, but also just being around someone. And connecting. that's why I think personal brands yeah. so much. Connecting, exactly. Yeah. And you've worked with Ty Lopez as well, right? Yeah, so he yeah. talks about personal branding all the yeah. time. So I wanted to touch on your personal brand because you've got over 2 million followers on Instagram alone, right? Uh -huh. So you think about that in, if I, if I reference England, for example, our biggest stadium's got something like 90,000 seats. Wow. So you're looking at over 20 of those complete stadiums that you uh -huh. can reach every single day. So my question is, how did you start to build that? What was the process in building out? What was the value you thought you could give? And then- Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I I'll give you full transparency so, on Instagram growth here. So when I started, I was the guy that built uh, Facebook pages and that's what I was known for. You know, I helped individuals, very well known individuals go from just a handful of followers on Facebook to literally millions of followers. Wow. And it was through that process of doing Facebook ads and proper content and everything like that. So we was able to take, you know, individuals that many people would know that just had a hundred thousand followers to six months later, they have 6 million followers and it was, they had a budget, they had a brand, they were able to do that. So we've done that with um, celebrities. We've done that with entrepreneurs. We've done that with fortune 500 companies growing them on Facebook. So, when Instagram launched, which again, for some listening, they may not realize Instagram has not always been around. You know I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but Facebook and Instagram were two separate entities and then Facebook acquired Instagram and they became um, meta together. Uh, now all these entrepreneurs and all these businesses, they're coming to me, they're like, Paul, grow my Instagram. I want to grow my Instagram. I'm like, uh, I don't know how to do that yet. You know, I'm, I'm figuring it out. And of course I'm playing around with it. I'm testing stuff, but I, I just, you know, it was a new platform and I wanted to learn how to do it. So I remember clients coming to me and they're like, Paul, I'd like to get a million followers on Instagram. There's just the caliber of clients that we would work with. They're like, I, I want a million followers on Instagram. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really know if I, I know how to do it yet. I just, you know, let me figure this out. Mm. And they said, if I give you a million dollars, could you figure it out? I'm like, uh, and, and I'm just trying to be like, uh, th that's a huge, but you know, if someone gives you a million dollars and you still can't figure it out, then you got a million dollar problem. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? So, uh, then he said, if I give you $2 million, Whoa. could you figure it out? At that point, I'm like, I think I could probably figure <laughs> it out. I think I could probably figure it out. And so with a budget like that, for someone to say, get me a million followers, um, I've got $2 million for you to budget work on this. I just began testing things. And I did, did a lot of things wrong and I did a lot of things right when it came to testing it. Uh, I did you know, the giveaway deal. There's a mm -hmm. lot of things, you know, give away an iPad and follow the, this person. You can be entered into the drawing. Yeah. You get followers, but maybe the quality of followers mm -hmm. is not good. Um, I would take viral cat videos and stuff like that. Just meme videos and boost it and try to, and yeah, you get a lot of followers and everything like that, but they're interested in cats, not your content. So I did a lot of things wrong in testing it. And I used my profile as the guinea pig ah. of the learning process. I was doing shout outs, I was doing everything. I'm like, okay, this gets followers and I would calculate, okay, it costs me X amount of dollars to get this amount of followers. And then I would use that in various clients, helping them grow it and stuff. So uh, now I think the, um, looking back at it, uh, the quality of followers should 
probably be the focus versus the mm. quantity of followers. And, and what do you think? I think that's a really interesting point as well, actually, because people will just yeah. go and you see a lot of people buying followers or mm-hmm. doing all these tricks and tips and mm-hmm. stuff. And it's like, what is a follower to you? Because I think yeah. actually you've said it really well in stuff that I've read is that the objective is not followers. The objective is clients. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you want to build a personal brand in the community, but ultimately followers don't mean anything right, unless right. you can convert them. And so, for example, even if you wanted to be a creator and have a million followers and then do mm-hmm. brand deals, if you can't show that they're going to at least buy something, right, yeah, there's no yeah. point in doing it. Yeah. So my question really is, um, how is AI affecting mm-hmm. what we're doing now? Because obviously a lot of people are concerned that AI is just going to take over. And yeah. if you have AI, you'll have the best social media following. Some yeah. people are the other way around saying, it doesn't really affect what I do. What's your opinion on AI in the Well, so, so this, I think that AI um, simplifies and saves time, but in many ways is not to the level that it replaces. And what I mean by that is, for example, a content creator, Yes, you can create content using AI. You can do cool videos and and different things like that. But the personal touch that a person with a heart soul has cannot yet be replaced. I say yet. I don't don't know if it ever will be. I hope not. But uh, I think that there's, there's this unspoken feeling that when people find out that the content has been created by AI, there's a disconnect. I have a friend that despises ChatGPT. Ah. Like he's like, oh, you know, AI is the devil, you know, stay away from it and everything. That's just his, you know, his gut feeling about it. He just, you know, he's being antagonistic about it. And I'm always like, man, you know, you can use it and everything like, no, I'll never use it. No, I won't touch it. And so uh, I posted a uh, a con- some content on my profile and he sent me a message on WhatsApp. He said, bro, that's some fire content. I really like it. And I wanted to tell him I created that content with chat GPT, but I didn't because I knew as soon as I told him I created it with chat GPT, he'd be like, oh, I hate it. I yeah, hate exactly. it. You know what I mean? So it's like people want that personal touch. Uh, automation and AI can't replace that personal touch. That's why it's so important to um, have a personal brand. I'll give you another great example. Um, So I have an automation on my phone that when I go to the gym, as soon as I arrive, it sends a text message to my wife that says, I'm at the gym now. And, uh, you know, it's just, wow, cool. it, you know, being, being good, it, it tracks my, my location. As soon as I pull in, sends a text message, I'm at the gym and she'll send me a message back. Oh, thanks. Have a good workout, blah, blah, blah. And it, but it's automated. Well, it backfired one time. We are driving through the parking lot near the gym, going to a restaurant Um, I'm in the driver's seat. She's in the passenger seat. And we drive nearby the gym. And all of a sudden, she receives a text message. (laughs) I'm at the gym now. And she picks up her phone. I'm driving. She looks at me. She looks over there, sees the gym. And she said, you're at the gym now, huh? I'm like, what do you mean? And she said, I just got your text message that you're Mm. at the gym. She's like, so this is automation. And for some reason, she was upset because 
in her heart, she always felt when I arrived to the gym, I pulled out my phone and I took the time to say, I'm at the gym now little kissy emoji and every, but as soon as she found out that it was automation, it did not have that personal emotional connection. So that personal connection, that heart, that connecting with people, there's always going to be individuals. There's like, okay, AI is great. It can help me out. It can speed up the process, but I still want a human, a person behind what what's being done. That's a really good point. So not necessarily having an issue with it being done by AI, yeah. but as soon as someone finds out, they start to be like, ah, and I'm going to push you to, I'm like, yeah. cause you see the people doing that sort of face to cam videos yeah. and it's starting to get to a point where that can be done by AI, can't yeah. it? Yeah. Absolutely. And people, as soon as they find out or they question it, you can see that their, their view rates go yeah. down. And, and I was going to say to you, you know, ChatGPT was released, what, December, 2022. Yeah. Everyone thought it was the next big thing. And it is incredible. We're looking at ChatGPT 5 coming out soon, right? And yeah. what's interesting is that we then saw a lot of people coming to us in the early part of 2023 because they were struggling with their marketing. And we'd say, well, have you done any marketing yourself in the last six months? Yeah. No, ChatGPT and yeah. maybe my VA have been doing it all together. Yeah. And yeah. you sort of come full circle where you say, like you said earlier, is there connection there? Authenticity, yeah. relatability? No, because someone's been doing it for me. And I think that's really interesting. And it sort of leads on to my next question, which is about people being obsessed with virality uh -huh. and like, how can I create something with AI or not with AI yeah, that goes yeah. viral? Because if I go viral, I'm going to get all these followers and then it's going to be, you know, a massive thing for me. So how important is in a campaign having stuff that's going to go viral for you and your, and your clients? Well, so, so this is what I feel. Uh, I think you should strive to have content that reaches the most people. I think that's great. And maybe that falls into the area of virality, but um, always chasing virality can be painful and discouraging mm. to many people. So I think it's important for you to look at your videos, um, have a purpose, a reason, a mission behind it outside of just going viral. Again, people want to go viral because, you know, they want to get more followers. They want to get more attention, everything like that. Uh, but when you have your, your mission and your, uh, purpose of, I want to make a, an impact, then you can be okay with, okay, this video got 2000 views and it didn't get 2 million views. And I always tell people like 2000 views. If you were sitting in a room and there was 2000 people there and you spoke to 2000 people, you'd be like, ah, oh, I only spoke to 2000 people. You'd be like, I spoke to 2000 people at this conference. You'd be excited about it. So take that in its context that 2000 people is a lot of people. And if you can make an impact on them, it's probably um, more effective than the 2 million views that you get on a video that people just yeah. say, Oh yeah, that's cool. That's, but there's no heart connection to what you're really doing. I completely agree. And we probably all know someone who's got 5,000 followers who's doing six figures a year versus yeah. people that are doing, who have half a million followers who are really struggling to yeah, make yeah, money. Yeah. It's because they, yeah. they're not using that sort of bridge, are they, between yeah. followers and actually having a business or even just followers and just converting it something into some sort of money. It hasn't right. got to be a business in, right. in a lot of senses, has it? Um, I really want to talk about that impact part because yeah. you've worked with some really cool brands, as I've touched on before. I'm going to keep saying it because sure, it is really sure, cool. I appreciate that, man. Um, and I want to talk to you about how you start to look at mm -hmm. and pull out those stories and then start to build that connection and community. Because mm -hmm. I presume with someone, some um, entrepreneurs or, um, you know, uh, 
celebrities or maybe even brands, it's yeah. easier than others. Yeah. So what's your process to go, right, this is the kind of person we need to bring in and this is the community you're going to, you sort of start to build. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, you know, just looking at some of the people that I've worked at, um, they're very different in, in many ways. Like you got Ty Lopez, who is, you know, this laid back four hour work week type guy. And then you got Grant Cardone that if you're not working um, 50 hours a week, you're a lazy bum. And so they've got two different brands and who they are and everything like that. Uh, and then you got individuals like Bob Proctor that are just, you know, legends, genius, uh, law of attraction um, guy. And so people of different directions. I think one of the the things that you do is when someone is coming online is you try to find those attributes, those personality traits that shine bright in person mm -hmm. and then amplify and focus on that. And uh, oftentimes that comes across as very polarizing. And one of the dangers that people can make is trying to get everybody to like them. You know, because when you try to get everybody to like you, to connect with you, you end up really not connecting to anybody. And I even probably made that mistake myself because I was like, you know, try to tone this down. Um, you'll see on my content, I share a lot about my faith, you know, I, um, superheroes, Marvel and stuff like that. Initially, I was more of like just bland and like tone this down and, you know, be more businessy and everything like that because I was concerned like, okay, well, this maybe people won't take me serious or maybe people won't want to work with me because of my faith or something like that. And then I just like, just have to embrace who I am. Mm -hmm. This is who I am. And if people don't connect with me on that, then that's okay. I'm not for everybody. And so that's, that's what you do is you take these individuals, they have these traits, they have these characteristics, they have these lifestyles and let that shine. And you get people that are really passionate because they see that and you do it in such mm -hmm. a bold way that they're like, oh, you know, they, they might like it a little bit, but because you do it boldly, they're attracted to it. They connect with you. Um, and on the other side of that, you're going to have haters because you are very bold in that side, those attributes, those characteristics that you'll have haters. So that starts to build this character, this persona, this personal brand that is very magnetic to communities. I think that is such a good bit of advice for anyone listening who hasn't built that personal brand yet. Right. Just to ampli what you said was to amplify what you basically already are. Yeah, yeah. So if Grant Cardone had come in and sort of said, I want to come across as the nicest guy in the world, yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'm really laid back, it yeah. wouldn't work. Equally, if you'd have walked in the door today and been a horrible bloke, uh -huh. like, that doesn't make sense, but you're the nicest guy in the world. So, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It, it makes sense. Wait, oh, wait till this podcast is over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to come out. <laughs> exactly. And actually, one of the best bits of advice we were told um, when we first started out on our entrepreneurial journey was uh -huh. just expect that if you walk into a room, half the people are going to not like you. Yeah. And, you know, a percentage are going to hate you. Most yeah. are going to not like you. Some yeah. are going to like you. And just work to that. And I yeah. think that is some really, really interesting yeah. advice. And most yeah. people won't listen to that, though. They'll go, well, no, I want to go viral. So I need to do this kind of video or, or copy yeah. or story. But if you just be yourself, that completely works. And some people are more magnetic than others, aren't mm -hmm. they? Some people have that sort of aura where people come towards them and yeah. others don't. I guess you can play on that as well. Yeah. Yeah. What I wanted to touch on was to sort of come around to the, the ad spend sort of mm -hmm. sign because... You're in the top 1% of ad spenders globally ever on Facebook, yeah. which is... It, it, that, that was a statistic given to me a few years ago. Yeah. I, 
I, I'm sure it probably stands true, but uh, there's a lot of people doing big stuff too. We'll get yeah. Mark on the phone and see yeah, what yeah, he's well, doing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so what I wanted to do was to ask you, you know, someone that's done their 10,000 hours, they've yeah. learned, they've been there. Yeah. What makes a good ad in this sort of 2023, 2024 um, period? Yeah, so I think it would come down to one word um, and it's disruptive, disruptive. Mm. And the challenge about being disruptive is disruptive is always changing. I'll give you an example. So uh, in, in being an individual that started early doing ads, I set a lot of trends in styles of ads. Like I can tell you, I used to do ads that had a, a, a red border around mm. it or I would do ads that had an offset shadow that had a 3D image. I did ads that had blurry images and different, different things like that. And I would, I would do these ads and they would perform really good. And because you'd be scrolling and it would just like, it would stop you on the timeline. It was disruptive. Well, other marketers, would see that like, oh man, that, that works. That's good. And so they would start doing it. And then next thing you know, you got everybody with ads with a red border around it and it's no longer disruptive. So I have to change things up. And so you're, you're always kind of chasing that disruptive ad, figuring out what works, what will cause people to stop the scroll. So that's, I think that's probably one of the biggest things is something that is disruptive with videos, having something, something created that will stop people within the first, you know, one or two seconds of the scroll so it's disruptive uh that's what adds good marketing is is it gets people's attention and with a, a world where people's attention span is so short you have to do something to catch people's attention so quickly so once once you get that disruptive ad then it is about proper messaging it's mm -hmm. about you know properly connecting with the community, proper targeting, everything like that. But if it's not disruptive, you're going to miss a lot of people. Mm. You're almost your own worst enemy, aren't you? Because you're trying to do the marketing for some people and right. everyone's trying to copy what you're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it's like you, you almost want to like, okay, I'm going to do this. And you know, it has a lifespan because as soon as people start seeing it work, and I've seen, like you could just look at ads and watch, okay, this guy's doing it and all the other marketers will see, oh man, that's a great ad. I'll do it. And then everybody else is doing the same style ads and then it no longer works after yeah. you know a short period of time so it's almost like be disruptive but then make sure you can fulfill your promise because someone yeah, yeah. stops because you've caught their attention and then it's a terrible ad yeah. with no messaging it's not yeah, going to yeah. work right? that's, that's a great way to put it yeah. yeah so um one of the things i think i'm hearing there as well is obviously be really creative and have these sort of amazing ideas do you have a process for how you come up with content how you because people have to put out a lot of content mm. these days to be seen yeah. or at least that's what people believe yeah do you have a way of coming up with content or maybe you touched on ai being useful earlier yeah if you talk to a client or some of your people that are in your courses or your cohorts what's a way that they can sort of batch ideas or make yeah. sure they're on the on the right path because i think it's when some people look at i'm going to make content they might be creative for the first few times and they yeah. start to lose it. They start to lose their yeah. way. How, how does someone come overcome that? Well, I, I think what you have to tell yourself is everything is content, especially when it comes to building a personal brand. Mm. You're doing things that are content worthy that you may not even be aware of. Like right here, this podcast, it's on video. You better believe this is going to be content for me. Mm. So we'll take this, we'll use it for content. Just sitting at the table, talking to someone, that's content opportunity. Being on the phone, talking to someone, that's content mm -hmm. opportunity. Zoom call, that's content 
opportunity at the gym. That's content opportunity. So instead of, uh, you know, trying to hunt down content opportunities, realize everything that you're doing, just kind of like document your life Mm -hmm. and see there's going to be things, you know, it's like I look at videos that have went viral uh, for many individuals and it was not really scripted. Yeah. It was just like spontaneous, just something that happened that was in that moment that went viral. Uh, Gary V's video, there was a video, he was talking about blueberries or something like that. And it got millions of views because who knew there was a large blueberry community or something like that. People were like, oh, I love blueberries too. It was something silly like that. But I've seen videos that, you know, you could have never scripted yeah. and said, oh, this should go viral. Um, example, Ty Lopez's Hear My Garage mm. um, video. That was not necessarily scripted. That was very spontaneous. Like, oh, okay, the books came in, the bookshelf here in the garage. This is a cool location. Let's do the video here. And then all of a sudden, it's billion views. So um, I think, you can't necessarily script it. And it's a bit like um, Gary Vee when he used to do that. He used to go to the garages, didn't he, and do his sort of hustling at the garage door or, right. or the document don't create thing that he sort of always yeah. always spoke about. Um, I really want to touch again on, I touched on it earlier, the fact that, um, you know, you talk about being a friend first to your clients and from the research I've done that comes up in a, uh, again and again that, um, you know, if someone comes to you and they, they, they come into one of your courses or they're mm-hmm. a client or they read your book, 27 Online Side Hustles, or one of the big household names, they all refer to you as a friend. A friend. Mm-hmm. And whenever you research or you know look at what you've been doing, everyone talks about trust. Mm-hmm. How important is trust in digital marketing? Because it's it's one of those things where you, you're on your phone all the time. Yeah. So you're with someone when they're in bed or on the toilet yeah. or in the in traffic. Yeah. How yeah. important is building trust? Yeah, it is amazing. And it's uh I'm first of all, I'm I'm thankful and blessed that I've been able to work with so many amazing people. And leading a business with integrity um, will trump skill set. There can be people that have maybe a better skill set than you, but if they don't have the integrity, they're not going to get the client. It's just plain and simple. So if you lead with integrity, you lead with trust, uh, people will come to you. You don't have to chase clients. Clients will chase you. And so I've always tried to do that in everything that I do is do it with integrity. And I've had opportunities. I, I remember working with clients and I start with a company and I see things that maybe stuff's being reported in favor of the marketing company mm-hmm. because you know they get a certain percentage of the sales and stuff. And now I take on that role and I start looking at it. I'm like, this tracking is not accurate. And I'm, I'm saying that at my my own um, fault because now I'm going to get paid less because this tracking is wrong. And if I would have just, you know, was quiet about it, I'd get paid more. But I go to the client and say, look, this tracking that is being used is false and we're really not getting that much. Um, so you need to adjust. We need to change this. And the client is like, so you're getting paid less that you, you know, since you told us that I was like, yeah, but I, I know it's it's right. And at that point, the trust is there. The clients, you know, you 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 have their trust. And if you don't have their trust, it, it, 
it doesn't matter how good you are, mm-hmm. how much money you make them, because you could be making them money. If they don't trust you, like maybe I could be making more. Mm-hmm. So having that trust, having that relationship, that connection um, should be the core for every business. I love it. I think integrity is so important. Because yeah. it goes back to what you said earlier, really. This conversation for me has been a lot around connection because yeah. if you haven't got integrity, it's really hard to fake it. Of course. And you're going to do yeah. it. <laughs> you, you cannot fake sincerity and integrity. No, no. People will try, but <laughs> right, it won't, right. it yeah, won't yeah, work, yeah. will it? Right. And I think that's really interesting because the, the sort of what the point I want to make is that I used to do a lot of work in the US in my previous uh-huh. job. And marketing in the US is very different to how I've seen it in the UK and here in the UAE because in the UK and here it's sort of seen as a bit more um, it's one of the functions of the business it's a uh-huh. bit more sleazy we shouldn't leave a marketing whereas yeah. in the US it's like the marketer is the king because if they can get the people in the door and then the sales uh-huh. team can close them yeah. that is how a business functions yeah. is that Absolutely. something that you see when you work with global clients the different um, impacts or um, ways people perceive marketing yeah well so for me uh, I don't go into what their perceptions are. I just go into what I know is right and what should mm-hmm. be done. So I am very results driven, results driven. So it's like, uh, I don't, I don't feel comfortable working with a person that I'm not getting results for. Mm-hmm. That makes me look bad. You know, so I'm very careful and selective who I work with because if I don't know, like 100%, I can get them real results, then I, I, I shouldn't take that client because it just puts you in an awkward situation. Hey, you might work with them for a while and everything like that and you make some money, but it's not going to be a happy relationship. But if you can go into a company, you can scale it, you can make them money, then First of all, it's going to be a long-term relationship, and then they're mm-hmm. going to be happy. There, you never want that tension. Like, okay, they're looking like uh, this isn't working. You know, we're not making very much money, and you're like, oh, you know, give us another month. We're going to do it, and everything like that. It's not. It's not a comfortable relationship to have. But if you are results-driven, you're getting results, you're getting leads, you're getting clients, you're getting sales. Then that solves all problems. Mm, and I, that must just be a different way of thinking across the different areas. And I'm sure we'll all catch up with the US and we're like, actually, if we marketed better, we'd probably make more make more money. And I wanted to finish the conversation by sort of tying it up and, and talking about that trust element again that you've uh-huh. sort of just led onto there because you grew up in Florida, right? Yeah. In, in a lower income family, yeah. then done incredibly well and built this for yourself. Uh-huh. And I want to touch on the the charitable work you do. Uh-huh. So you do a lot of work for the, the homeless charities, yeah. um, drug and alcohol abuse, and also yeah. in, mainly in the third world countries. And I'd love yeah. you to touch up on that. And oh man, you know. thanks a lot. Yeah, so uh, I actually, many people may not realize this, I'm also a pastor of a church. And uh, I preach every Sunday, every Wednesday. Wow. Um, this year I've kind of been in going into a, a phase of transitioning, doing less. Um, but for over 16 years, we started a Bible study um, in my home and with 20, 30 people. Now we have services in English, Spanish, and Creole. Wow. And um, this past Easter, we had 700 people in attendance. It's just, and our church is, um, for me, I, I, as a teenager, I went to church and I saw, you know, a lot of times churches could be very inward where it's like the health themselves mm-hmm. and stuff. And, uh, but I always wanted to, with what God gave me, I'm hundred percent volunteer what I do for um, the church. And 
I wanted to equip people, number one, with the business skill sets that I have, more of a holistic approach, more than mm. just give faith, give faith, but business skills. Um, we have young men in our church that uh, grew up without a father, very poor. And, you know, I saw one of the young guys just post recently. He's um, built a great business in real estate. He's like, ah, I just wow. sold a $2 million home and, yeah. you know, things like that. Just got a, I don't know, a, $200 million home under contract and stuff. And so I, I see that matter of fact, uh, see, seeing people grow in not only spiritually, but, uh, I've traveled down to third world countries and just, um, given food, um, supplies and stuff after, uh, you know, big global pandemics and tragedies and stuff. We go down to Haiti, we go down to South America and stuff. And I think uh, what it does for me, and, 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 I, and I think think about it, it, it just kind of gets me emotional mm -hmm. because um, it, in in many ways, if, if it wasn't for God, first of all, and if it wasn't for the business opportunities and the amazing people that I've worked with, man, I'd probably be in jail. I'd probably be on drugs. I, I, I grew up in a community where all my friends, if I look at them now, I've got friends that are in jail. I've got mm -hmm. friends that are dead. I've got friends that are on drugs. And that was just, that's how I grew up. Um, my mom and dad did great for where they were and everything like that. But the reality of it, they had problems. We were in rough neighborhoods. I mean, it was just, uh, I remember um, not too long ago, I did it. <clears throat> I did a private jet mastermind. I do it a few times a year where I'll get a group of high level entrepreneurs and we'll fly down to the Bahamas and have wow. a mastermind. And at the last moment, um, someone canceled. And so I call my mom up. I say, hey, mom, you want to go down to the Bahamas? And she's like, would I? Yeah. And so I pick her up and then take her to the airport. She's like, what is this? We get on a private jet. Wow. We're sitting there on the private jet and my mom's getting emotional as the jet's taking off. And she said, Paul, would you ever believe that we would be on a private jet flying to the Bahamas? And then I started talking to her and I said, Mom, I remember um, when I was a kid, um, we lived with Uncle Kenny and you and dad slept in that little room upstairs and me and Bubby slept in the little room connected to your room on a mattress on the floor. My mom started laughing and she said, that wasn't a room. That was a closet. Wow. And she said, do you remember sleeping in the car, living in the car? I said, no, I, I don't remember that. And she began to tell me the story about when we lived in the car for a few months. And I started thinking about, it. I said, mom, I thought we were on vacation because we were traveling from different parks and taking showers and weird places. I said, I thought we were in a park. So to see that and to where I am today, it gives me a balance. It keeps me focused on what the real issue is. It's relationship over revenue. It's impact over income. Um, it, it is people over profits. And if you always put that in your mission and realize everything that you've been given is a gift and use it with a purpose, with an intent that would help others, you'll never go wrong. I think that is incredible advice and a great way to finish. So Paul, thank you so much for your thank time. You it's been an absolute much. masterclass. Thank Pleasure you. is mine. Pleasure is mine. Thank you.